a listener production. The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall. Adam, in health and fitness, there are lots of truisms that we live by, right? You always hear things like, you know, um, make sure you don't exercise on an empty stomach or, you know, you've got to hydrate plenty the night before. Eat pasta if you've got a big day the next day. And one of those truisms is breakfast is the most important meal of the day. But as a health hacker, Adam, is it? Well, it's a great question, isn't it? And I uh, hope you're well, Alex. And it all comes back to it depends. <laughs> and you'll often speak to scientists and uh, very, I suppose, established academics and they'll be posed to a difficult question and they'll say, well, it depends. <laughs> and there's always a lot of grain everything in life. It's not just black and white, as we know, from the episodes that we've done in the past on different topics. So it actually depends on what your goal is in life. And uh, there's been some brilliant research, which we'll expand upon shortly, and it really just does depend on whether or not you're fat or whether or not you're somebody with a pre-existing medical condition or you're somebody that's fit and healthy and uh, very athletic and very busy. So the most important thing I suppose to consider to start with is where did breakfast come from? And um, it really was something designed by cereal companies. In 1944, a marketing campaign that was actually designed by General Foods, actually with the sole purpose of selling more cereals. Cereals were only developed um, shortly before that with uh, Dr. John Kellogg's. We'll expand on a story about his purpose for developing that as well, but it's quite an interesting story in itself. But um, the campaign was brilliant because it said, eat a good breakfast and do a better job. That was the the catch cry of this campaign. And grocery stores were uh, paid to hand out these brochures. And it basically... um, you know, promoted the fact that nutritionists were saying that uh, breakfast was the most important meal of the day. So that's where this really sprung from. But then when you have a look at breakfast in its historical sense, it wasn't something before the 1800s that um, people really partaked in because of the fact that, um, you know, we lived more nomadic, we're hunter-gatherers and, and whatnot. Commercialization of food has only really become, you know, domestication of animals and mm. crops and, mm. you know, all these practices have only really become something of, of modern times. Well, it seems like a very Western thing. I mean, in my, in my times in Asia and even in Europe as well, even though they are a predominantly white culture, but when I have been more in Asian cultures, I noticed that the breakfast is really kind of just a, something small to get you going and off you go. It's not really a big part of their day. And they seem to ramp up as the day goes on. Whereas we have always, I mean, I remember a kid growing up and you'd sit down and you'd be like, all right, here we go. And you'd be getting into it. Or sometimes the opposite happens in our culture. We end up skipping it completely, which, you know, someone goes, oh, no, I'm not having breakfast today. I've got a big lunch ahead of me. And I just don't think we've got it all wrong. Yeah, well, it's really interesting because you touched upon quite a few interesting points there. But um, breakfast really stands for breaking the fast. Mm. So we're going to delve into this a little bit deeper later, but, um, you know, it's not just what you eat, but it's when you eat. And Mm. we've spoken in past episodes about our circadian clocks. Um, These are the clocks that govern our bodily functions, our hormones and everything that regulates our existence um, over a 24-hour period. And this is becoming a real interesting science at the moment. They're really diving into when we should eat, not so much what we should eat. They Mm. think it's actually more important or just as important when we eat rather than just what we eat. So how our body processes, how our body utilizes food. That's fascinating. But it's fascinating what you you spoke about. This is Dr. Sachin Panda. I think you've mentioned him before. There's a book called The Circadian Clock. Clock, clock, yeah. Yeah, okay, I think right. that's what it's called. Mm. And um, it's really interesting because, you know, when, when you look back, historians will say that um, Native Americans, for example, would eat lots of food throughout the day rather than one big meal at breakfast. Yep. And medieval European times, uh, breakfast was really only something for the rich. 
Um, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So when you were fat in the old days, you um, were, it was seen as something as of, yeah. of um, a status symbol. You see it when they depict ancient Rome. It was the emperor lying down with a fat, like big stomach with the grapes, and even the women around him were really fat because it was a it was a sh- sign of being you know affluent, wealthy, and well fed. And obviously, as it changed later, that our view of like what is pretty in inverted commas and beautiful changed. But you're right; it was like the fatter, the better. Yeah, the fatter, you, the better. You're doing well. You're doing really well. So it was a sign of status. And and, and going back to what people mainly ate for breakfast back in in um, historic times, well, they just basically ate leftovers. So whatever was left over, that's what they ate. So it really become a mainstead, I suppose, regimented meal once we become very dependent on industrialization and, and labor become and we very became wealthier important. as a society we did. too. Yeah, and yeah. labor Middle become class. very important. So the industrialization revolution really made people go out and work for the first time. So they needed to be fed. They worked out that having some food in the stomach was very productive in being productive in itself, having mm. the energy to actually do a good job. So, you know, we, we've seen that breakfast really become something once we modernised our society, not just from an industrialization point of view in manufacturing foods, but also in just the fact that the workforce was then required to have some energy to work its way through the day. But that, that's another interesting feed on. You think about what most people have for breakfast these days. So to learn that really breakfast cereals were something that was, I suppose, hijacked um, the consumer's mind in the sense of a great marketing campaign, which mm. has now become, you know, gospel. Most mm. people eat breakfast cereals. If yeah. you ask most people what they eat for breakfast, it's really cereal. Is it really? Yeah, yeah. cereals by far and away the most popular thing for breakfast. About yeah. 40% of people eat really? cereals for breakfast. So it's quite interesting. But then you look at coffee, for example, and I started to wonder, well, hang on, I can't get up in the morning without a coffee like most people. And it only became a popular drink in Europe in the 19th century. People were making a start to their days normally without coffee and before it become the staple of millions and millions of people throughout the world, most people start their day, what do you think they start their day with, Alex? Water. Alcohol. Really? <laughs> wow, I was really on the wrong end of the spectrum, wasn't I? Yeah. Yeah, so for ancient Egyptians, for example, their morning meal consisted of bread and beer. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so I don't think it was garlic bread, but uh, <laughs> but bread and beer, which is, you know, How well, the ancient Greeks built prefer- a pyramid if yeah. they were half cut all the time. Yeah, yeah. half cut. They and got then- slaves probably yeah. to do it. That was the real reason. Yeah, yeah. so, um, and then the ancient Greeks uh, preferred to start their day with wine, and uh, the Romans did the same as well. So, wow. you know- even in pre-industrial Europe when, um, you know, the Industrial Revolution first come, it was sort of a bad idea to drink the water. So they made beer soup. And that's what became really popular during that period of time because the water wasn't very hygienic. Right. So, that makes sense. Yeah, I think- Makes it, a lot of sense, Because doesn't it? there were things like, you know, no clean water, no right. sanitization. That's why they did a lot of things like they would ferment food because they couldn't keep it for a long time. And really weirdly had these um, huge benefits, right? Because you're having fermented foods, which now we know, yeah. like centuries later. Oh, it's really good for your gut health. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so very interesting that, you know, you, you look at how a lot of these things have become part of our, our daily routines and, and part of our culture and part of our, our norms. Um, it's really interesting that breakfast has really stood the test of time Mm. with so many people. But like I said before, is it the most important meal of the day? Well, it depends. And there's been no better research study into this than recently with Bath University. I must take my hat off to Bath University, yeah, a lot literally. Of the, yeah. A lot are, of the, the studies you quote is usually them. They are doing some fascinating studies of late and, you know, we'll delve into some more of them studies shortly in the next uh, coming periods of time. But particularly around weight loss, it's really fascinating, mm-hmm. you know, the stuff that they're doing. And one study that they actually did is they um, did a randomized control uh, study, which is, you know, a great study. And 
And they found that regularly eating a substantial morning meal affects how our fat cells actually function in the body. Now, I'll keep this pretty simple. It basically changes the activity of the genes involved in fat metabolism and insulin um, resistance. So they basically found that eating breakfast every morning may help lower people's risks of type 2 diabetes, firstly, and cardiovascular disease. And the reality was, even if people in the study went on to eat more throughout the rest of the day, this was offset by the benefits of the changes in these cells functioning in the body. Mm -hmm. So they put people into two groups. One group was told to eat a big breakfast in the morning, at least before 11am, and the other group got to actually skip breakfast. So what they found was that people had normal weights eating the breakfast actually decreased their body's ability to burn fat. Now, this is fascinating. So it actually switched off the fat-burning genes, which makes sense because if, when you eat... If they had breakfast. Yes. So this was the caveat, though. They ate a really high-carbohydrate breakfast. So these oh, okay. were a cereal-based breakfast, which makes sense. So we know that insulin, the hormone that's secreted as a result of blood sugar, puts our bodies into what we call energy-storing mode. So the body's not burning energy when it's digesting food for fuel. So what happens is, essentially, is that your body stops burning fat. So mm -hmm. fat oxidization comes to a halt. And that would have been as a result of the increase in insulin. But what was really, really interesting was the fact that the people that were overweight, they had the opposite effect. Interesting. Which I found was fascinating. So there is actually some evidence if you are lean, that breakfast isn't the king when it comes to weight loss. Huh. Now that's, that's only weight loss. We're not talking about heart health. We're not talking about energy levels because the research has also found that those that ate breakfast actually were more active throughout the day. Mm. And we've spoken about this before, the compensation effect. You know, when you exercise for one hour of your day, which is only 4% of your day, but you do a high intensity exercise, what happens generally is people overcompensate. They overestimate how much they've exercised, how many calories they've burnt, so therefore they eat more and they move less. Mm -hmm. The body's very smart. There's a new book out and I'm going to get the guy on and interview him called Burn. Mm -hmm. And he studied the history of our metabolisms. Mm. And he argues, Whoa, this guy, it's very, very interesting. And it's really throwing a spanner in the works for most people like myself. He argues that our bodies basically have a set point that they want to return to, as far as metabolism goes, that is normalized. So no matter how much exercise you do, your body is smart. It only wants to burn, let's call it, three and a half thousand calories a day for argument's sake. So even if you exercise hours upon hours, your body then downregulates other functions and then becomes lazy in other areas, such mm -hmm. as how much you move, how much you fidget, how, how your heart rate goes throughout the rest of the day. And what happens is it always comes back to that three and a half thousand calories. Hmm. No matter what. Right. So and the everyone's key, set differently. Everyone has basically got their set point that their body's going to come back to. Can you change it? Oh. He's arguing you can't. So he's arguing okay. that he's studied. We'll save a bit of this because yeah, I've got the bloke fascinating. Here, but, yeah, it's yeah. so fascinating that basically what he's saying comes back to the truism that I think is true is you can't out-train a bad diet. Yeah. Because so, if your body can only burn, let's say, 3,800 calories, and no matter what you do, only it's going to make you be healthier or stronger, sure, but it might mean won't burn more, then the food you're consuming must try and match that rate or be only slightly above or below. Because if you, like I'm saying, I hear what you're saying, yeah. if you do too much, it's just, it's, the body's not going to be able to do it. Yeah. And fascinating. It's fascinating. This is what I like about you is the fact that you give us episodes based on the information you have at the time, but you're not so like dogmatic and arrogant that go, if information changes, you go, well, that's cool. Let's yeah. look into that now. Oh, I must admit, I was, I was stunned by this findings that, that of this research because, you know, for me, it, it made sense in the, the fact that I understood the research about how people overcompensate when they exercise hard in the morning, therefore they eat more and therefore they move less and et cetera, et cetera. But I didn't expect there to be what we call a set point 
in our metabolisms that our bodies only mm. are really capable of burning so many calories a day. You know, basically that breakfast consumption did increase total daily intake in lean people, but this was offset that breakfast also stimulated greater physical activity and energy expenditure in these lean people. Mm. So therefore they moved more, they just fidgeted more, um, you know, they just basically burnt more calories in general. Yeah. So their bodies were more effective because they had the fuel. burning calories because they had the fuel. Yeah. So it sort of begs the question, if it's me, now that I think about what I've been doing and, you know, I've learned some hard mistakes throughout the years, I think more is always better with the fasting and, you know, carb cycling and not eating carbs at certain periods and whatnot. And I've really noticed some ill effects from doing these too extreme. And this, once again, just reinforces the fact that um, it's trying to find that sweet point, isn't it? That, that sweet spot in the sense that, you know, if you've ever tried like a ketogenic diet or a low carb diet, you feel like crap mm. for a while and until your body becomes adapted to using fat as energy. And then you start to ask yourself, well, walking around on minimal calories and calories restriction diets, which I've tried for, as a health hacker, I've tried them all. And you look back and you go, I was a miserable sod. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And, and for what benefit? Because yeah. here I'm being told now that my body actually compensated mm. and said, hey, buddy, we're not stupid. You're not feeding us, so we're not going to move. Yeah. So, you know, I'd prefer to be somebody that's more active, has more vigor, um, has, you know, I suppose a better personality, yeah. <laughs> funner to be around. Yeah. And, you know, is actually burning the calories by the fact that I'm able to move more rather than eat less and therefore move less because that's essentially what happens. There's two theories, isn't there? They say, you know, eat less and move more, but that that, that theory in itself seems flawed now because it's saying, well, if you eat less, you can't move more. Yep. It's near impossible because our subconscious behaviours and our habits as such are dictated by how much fuel we have in the tank. So it reinforces what you said so many times again, the subconscious mind and the body's mechanical sort of structure, for lack of a better term, is way smarter than our conscious mind. We're always trying to trick it. Yeah. We're trying to do these things and you're not, you're losing. You're yeah. losing every time. And you think you're winning, but you're not. You're the, not. The body's smarter the than body's you. The body's very smart. And this is where the body's smart as well. With, with the, the people that were overweight, the reason why breakfast was so important is because of insulin sensitivity. We've spoken about insulin sensitivity before, but essentially that's your body's ability to partition calories from carbohydrates essentially or the insulin response as a result of eating food that allows the energy to get into the muscles um, and rather than being stored as fat. So when your body becomes insulin resistant, you're not able to then obviously utilize the uh, the nutrients from the food because your cells become resistant mm. to the message of the nutritional demands that are being placed upon it. So it's really interesting that um, with people that were overweight, one gene that was associated with fat burn Learning, was much more active amongst the people that were overweight um, who ate breakfast compared to those that didn't. Mm. So this is fascinating. So the insulin sensitivity become much um, greater. They become less insulin insensitive. So all of a sudden when they, they ate lunch, they had this huge blood sugar spike as a result of not eating breakfast. Yes. And therefore that, that glucose rollercoaster we talk about, that sugar rollercoaster where you go up and down and that, you know, insulin variability, which we all talk about for good health. So, you know, when you get a huge rise in blood sugar, there's inflammatory responses, there's hormonal responses, makes you hungrier, makes you crave more food. You know, you can't stop. Once you pop, you can't stop. Yeah. You just keep eating. Um, and then, you good know, it's really, really tough. So it was really, really fascinating that that was a side effect for these people as well as the inflammatory response, which we know is a byproduct usually of raised insulin levels. So this was really interesting. So therefore, the guidelines for breakfast consumption, depending on if your goal is to lose weight, is that, yes, you can probably get away with it if you're somebody that is lean. However, if you're somebody that's overweight, you should not skip breakfast. It's a no-brainer. The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall. 
So, Adam, we're talking about the difference of having breakfast, whether you're lean versus overweight and the effects it has throughout the day, which is absolutely fascinating. However, you were talking about most people have a high-carb breakfast, and this test was done about high-carb breakfasts, but we know the importance of protein. So what happens to you if you have a high-protein breakfast? What does that set you up for for the rest of the day? Yeah, look, I think these results would have even been more favorable towards weight loss for people that uh, were overweight because we know, uh, as we touched upon, that one of the, the great benefits of eating breakfast was seen here was the, the fact that it helped keep um, your blood sugars in check. So it helped with the insulin sensitivity. So we know that foods that are high in protein actually have a much less effect on insulin levels. They improve um, satiety. So you're feeling a fullness. Oh, yeah. So you're feeling of, of satisfaction at such. So you didn't crave as much and you don't mm. eat as much food throughout the rest of the day. Mm. So th this is really, really interesting. Right. The fact that, you know, most people eat 40% of their calories after six o'clock at night. Right. That's a big number. Big number. I reckon I'm big guilty of that too. Yeah. And, you know, our bodies have never been designed to really work that hard late at night to digest food because mm. we didn't have electricity. Mm. We didn't have ovens and microwaves restaurants. and restaurants <laughs> and stuff like that. Yeah. So our bodies have become very, Pizza you know. Pizza dinner is very good. <laughs> um, you know, millions and millions of years of evolution is really hard yeah. to change, you know, the biology of the human body. So, you know, we always look back and say, eat like our grandparents used to eat. And, you know, let's look back further. I know that ancestral health is a little bit hit and miss. People argue that, you know, our ancestors didn't live for huge periods of time. However, you know, a lot of the things that they died from were accidental deaths or, you know, Diseases being eaten by something and stuff like that. So mm. they didn't have antibiotics and whatnot. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you no know, penicillin. Yeah. So, but things like obesity were non-existent largely in these cultures yeah. and things like heart disease and diabetes. And, you know, when you consider that, you know. You look at photos from people in the 1940s and not a lot of overweight people. No, there wasn't. So, you know, it's, it's really interesting that, yes, I think that protein would have had a huge effect on the benefits of eating breakfast. And, you know, I've argued for a long time and, you know, we, we say that intermediate fasting has some great benefits and it does. And I think um, where a lot of people are finding it much easier from a lifestyle point of view is eating a bit later because it's more sociable. Mm -hmm. So therefore they are skipping breakfast. And when you, you are sort of low in um, fuel as well, it has another effect as well. It increases cortisol levels and stress levels and the adrenaline hormones and stuff like that. And that can also have an effect on you know, our body stress levels. Mm. So, you know, going for long periods of time early in the day without food can be a big stressor on the body. Yeah. So we need to really balance it out because, um, you know, you asked before, is, a, is adrenal fatigue a real thing? Yes, I do. I think it is real. Yep. And I think that um, people that are under a lot of stress need to take that into account whenever they go on some sort of extreme diet, whether it's fasting or whatever it may be. But, um, you know, the statistics are hard to argue, isn't it? You know, when you have a look at the people that, you know, regularly skip breakfast on top of being more overweight, which is a, is a common finding, they also had a 20% higher risk of heart attack. Or death you know, um, from heart disease. It's so interesting you say that and saddening as well because I feel like the trend here is for some deep reason inherent in us, whenever we try a shift or a change or a diet, I mean, all wrong words anyway, there is an element of having to kind of like punish ourselves. Mm. And I feel like you're just setting yourself up for failure straight <laughs> away. But if you said have a higher protein breakfast and really enjoy it, after a while you might start to eat less. Like I know if I have eggs, bacon and a whole bunch of stuff, feel pretty good. I feel yeah, full, but yeah. I'm not having a big lunch again. But if yeah. you're just having, oh, I'm just going to have a little bit, oh, yeah. a little bit of this, a little muesli bar or something, mate, I am <laughs> plowing through the food for the rest of the day. And then you kind of feel guilty. Yeah. So I feel like what you're getting at over a lot of these episodes is, is rather than sort of seeing in a negative light, 
look to the positive of it and enjoy the things you are doing and understand the benefits of eating the certain foods that make you feel a certain way for the rest of the day. Well, our mission is really to empower people to be citizen scientists. So we want you to go out there and empower yourself and try things for yourself because N equals one, we always say in science. So the reality is if it works for you, you can't argue about it. Yeah. Just write it down. How did I feel today? Execution is the key. If you execute on something and you get a result, that's the proof. That's all the proof that you need. That works for you. We're all so different. We now know how different everybody bodies are and how different our biology is. And look, some people work really well without breakfast. If you do that, keep going. But if you're somebody that can't function without getting up and having something to eat early in the day, by all means, don't hurt yourself. Like you said, don't punish yourself and think, oh, because this bloke I read in a magazine who's got a six packs doing it. Well, like this research from Bath University showed, people that are overweight are different to people that are lean now. Their body's hormonal systems are different as we've seen. Their genes switch on differently as a response to different stresses. So it's really important that, you know, you really try not to put a square in a round hole. And everyone's got this mate, my best mate, Jimmy, (laughs) he will eat at the most annoying times. So we all want to go out for dinner and he'll go like, I'm good. I'm just going to have a snack. And then we'll be back, you know, everyone's sort of getting ready for bed. If we've been out like together or whatever, I don't know, he's staying at our place. It's like 11 p.m. He's like, oh, what's in the fridge? And he'll start eating. And then we all go for breakfast. He goes, no, I'm all right. And then he'll eat it like, I don't know, like 11.45. He'll have breakfast. Like he's all over the shop. But that, it's just works for him. It's very frustrating to go and try and plan a a day. And then equally to your point about people working out and looking good on magazines, don't forget what's behind that. Because I work in media and I've seen a lot of it. And I've spoken to those people who have been on the front of magazines. And they all say the same thing. Mate, I had to eat nothing the whole time. They gave me a personal trainer. I shredded all the way up to it. I worked out. And he said, as soon as that was finished, I just went back. I was exhausted. I felt (laughs) horrible even though I looked good. And then I'm looking at and they're standing in front of me. They're no bigger or more buff than, you know, most people who just go to the gym regularly. And they're just back to normal. They're much happier. They only look like that for a few hours. That's the reality. They don't look like that every single day. They don't roll out of bed in the morning with a six-pack every morning. Mm. And Adam, circling back to your comment about heart attacks before, I did skip over that a little bit. What's the correlation for people who skip breakfast having a higher chance of having a heart attack? I mean, that's a pretty big reason to make sure you have brekkie. Yeah, well, look, for most males, you know, it's the biggest killer, as we know, between the ages of roughly 30 onwards till later on in life. So heart disease, you know, claims more lives than anything else for mm. people in society. So the reality is, is that um, it's probably the frustration with nutritional science. A lot of it's observational. It's not causation, it's correlation. So what I mean by that is um, by skipping breakfast doesn't mean you're going to have heart disease, but what usually happens is, and they don't take this into account a lot of the time with research studies because they want to get a certain result, is the reality is there's bias. So these people's behaviours are really biased towards you know, other bad habits as well. So okay. people they found that you generally skip breakfast also have other bad habits. Yes. But once again, they come back to the fact that hormonally, these habits could be fueled by the fact that they are skipping breakfast. So yeah. these people tend to eat later at night. They tend to overeat. They tend to snack more. They tend to consume alcohol and they tend to exercise less. So these people have these behaviors, which really add up to the perfect storm as such. So no, skipping breakfast isn't going to clog your arteries as such. However, the behaviors that accompany the ripple effect. The ripple effect, yeah. So I found that interesting that, you know, for want of a better word, a cluster of bad habits, you know, I found in these yeah, people well that are skipping breakfast. So, um, you know, it, it's just fascinating, you know, that, um, you know, something as simple as, you know, starting your day the right way can have such a huge impact on weight 
and heart health. So I, I found that really, really interesting. The other really interesting thing that we spoke about too was the impact of cardiac rhythms on when we eat rather than just what we eat. Okay. I, I'm finding this such an interesting thing. And circadian rhythms like your internal body, body clock. clock. Yes. Okay, great. Just for anyone that doesn't know that one, so it's about when your body does certain things at certain times and it has its own. Hence, if you've ever been overseas before, you're all out of shape because your body's going, well, hang on a second. And I think it's 2 a.m., but actually it's 2 p.m. What's going on here? Well, that's why we always say eat light first thing in the morning. Don't eat a light breakfast. I mean, get out and see sunshine because yes. it resets your body. And that's why, you know, we, we've spoken in previous episodes about getting a good night's sleep. That's why, you know, avoiding, you know, certain lights at night, um, particularly from devices mm. has been proven. Yeah, and even now, the most recent research saying blue blocker glasses don't work, which is oh, fascinating. They're saying they say, don't, yeah, them. they're saying they don't work. Even the and, one with the red lenses? And, and the screens on the on the, the Apple phones, they've just done a recent oh, study recently mode. that the night mode is ineffective oh. for helping sleep um, quality um, when you're looking at devices. So, and, and my favorite study, as I always, um, you know, love to go back to my favorite studies time and time again is the one about when they took people out camping to restore their, their natural sleep patterns when... People with insomnia Insomnia, well, insomnia right? they took them out camping and within, a, you know, a few nights, their, their circadian rhythms had, had basically gone back to the normal um, yeah. sequence and they were able to sleep. We are um, our own worst enemies, aren't we? We are. We are. So that, that's what I love about, you know, this whole circadian biology that everyone's sort of diving into now. Okay, so what does it say about the food? When should we eat and what should we eat to match this clock? So you have a look at our, our bodies, our organs in particular, this leaves a lot of clues. So um, gastric emptying, for example, um, peak first thing in the morning. So your body's ability to, to empty it. The stomach is much higher in the morning. Our beta cell function is 15% higher in the morning. Then you've got your glucose response. Glucose levels go up and down much greater in the evening versus the same meal that's eaten in the morning. So if you eat a meal like I alluded to earlier, first thing in the morning, your glucose response is going to be blunted a lot more, which is what you want. You don't want a big sugar response and mm-hmm. then a big drop. So therefore, if you eat later in the afternoon, that that that's that's flipped on its head. Yeah. You get this huge glucose response and bang, you know, you hit the floor. So, so you can probably tolerate something that's higher carb in the morning. Even though you're saying that's not the breakfast necessarily to choose, your body can tolerate it more in the morning. Yeah, we still have an insulin response from, from all foods, but mm. yeah, you're going to get, you know, a much better response to being able to utilize the nutritional mm. uh, nutrients in the food from eating it earlier in the day. Okay. So, you know, and our appetite hormones also um, – are altered as well. So as I said, once you flick that switch, you know, and you start eating a little bit in the evenings, all of a sudden you can't stop. That's why when you open that ice cream tub, you know, when you, before oh. you go to bed, you can't stop it. So it's actually so fascinating because if someone gave me ice cream in the morning, my brain and my body, it just feels weird. Yep. Like to eat that. It's And it's not because I think society tells you, you know, it's an evening thing or it's dessert. I reckon your body's just going, I don't want that. It feels weird. But at night, it's probably craving some things like that. And it, it knows that, you know, if you flick the switch, you can keep going. Because, mate, I can put away a whole tub of ice cream. Don't you worry about that. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's really interesting because the research proved time and time again that, you um, your body's much more effective at, at using uh, food earlier in the day. They're now talking about doing a circadian diet. So this new circadian uh, diet's really been supported by a number of studies recently. Uh, there was actually a paper in 2013 by Daniela uh, Jakowitz. Um, and what they did is they, they basically compared the impacts of two diets. Now, the diets were exactly the same for calories and macronutrients, but they differentiated basically in how they took in this food. So both groups consumed 1,400 calories three meals per day. And what they found was that the only difference in the behaviours from both groups was one group front loaded their calories, the other group back ended their calories. What happened was that the front heavy eaters, the the large breakfast eaters and the the lunch eaters um, and the small dinner eaters versus 
the large dinner eaters, medium uh, lunch eaters and small breakfast eaters or breakfast skippers actually lost more than half the amount. Wow. Yeah, so the, the group that actually um, uh, front-loaded their calories lost 8.7 kilos versus the group that back-ended their calories, they lost 3.6 kilos. Oh, big difference. Huge difference. So that's statistically significant. Mm. So that, that's, a, that's a good result. So when you consider that, same calories, same food, same everything, mm. only difference was time how they broke that food up as far as breaking that 1400 calories up so 1400 calories more at breakfast more at lunch less at dinner versus the opposite more than double the result in fat loss which i found you know really really interesting in itself and we spoke about this before as well start your plates bigger in the morning and get them smaller as you get towards the evening as in like they should be the size of like a side plate in the evening yeah 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 really interesting Another really interesting study was a, was a study, it was 20 weeks, um, and it was a weight loss intervention study, Alex. And basically, it included the, the people working with a dietitian. They also did exercise, and they're also working on behavior change, which you know is the key to, to changing anything long-term. And then what they did is they looked back at the people's food logs, and they split the groups into those that consumed their biggest meal of the day before 3 p.m. versus those that consumed their biggest meal of the day after 3 p.m. Mm-hmm. And what they found was that roughly half of the people were in each group. So they didn't tell them when to eat. So one group actually moved towards eating their biggest meal at lunchtime. The other group, you know, made their biggest meal, as we spoke about, you know, after uh, lunchtime. And they seen that those that consume their largest meal before 3 p.m., they experienced significant greater weight loss mm. and less insulin resistance than the group that had their biggest meal at the end of the day. So theme is eat more earlier, less later. If you can. Yes, if you can. I know socially we've spoken about before it can be difficult. Yeah, um, and you have this great thing, Adam, which is the 80-20. Like if it's Friday night and everyone wants to meet for dinner at a restaurant and you don't eat till 8 don't be a party pooper because if 80% of the time you're doing great, enjoy that big dinner with your friends at 8 o'clock at night. It's okay. And then you just go back to what you usually do after that, right? 100%, Alex. So, Adam, to conclude, sounds like there's a few running themes here that you've highlighted. Can we just recap what some of those are? Yeah, so I would argue that if you are overweight and obese, breakfast is the most important meal of the day. And, you know, there's enough scientific, I believe, uh, research to support this. Uh, If you are lean, and as I said, we're all different, but if you're somebody that's in good health now and somebody that's lean that doesn't have a history of heart disease, well, skipping breakfast, you know, may work for you. But it's it's very interesting that we're seeing more and more research about not just what we eat, but when we eat, Mm -hmm. being supported with these great studies. And particularly um, when you're now looking at the circadian clocks and the importance of our natural 24-hour biological cycles, we're starting to see more and more that the more that we can harness the ability to fall into our natural circadian pattern, the healthier we're going to be just in general because it helps with sleep, it it helps with, you know, hormone regulation, it helps with so many things. So I'm an advocate for, for breakfast and it doesn't mean you have to get up and eat first thing in the morning. I'm a bigger proponent in getting up and eating something within the first three hours of being awake. Right. You know, because that allows you then, if you get up at six o'clock in the morning, you get up at seven o'clock, you know, you're eating something by about 10 to 11 o'clock. And that then allows you to do some form of time restricted eating anyway. You know, not all breakfasts are created equal. We know the benefits of eating a high protein breakfast. So I'm a big proponent in eating the right type of breakfast at the right time. I'll see you for a 6 a.m. breakfast tomorrow, mate. (laughs) Bit early for me, six (laughs) o'clock. So remember, if you have any questions like that you want Adam to dive into, and breakfast was one that he got a lot in his DMs on the Instagram page and on Facebook, head to themanshake.com.au, hit him up on his Manshake socials, or you can email us directly, healthhacker at themanshake.com.au.
And Adam, before we wrap up the episode, we started doing some mind pumps at the end of it. You know, we talk about the body a lot, but what's something that can really get our mind motivated? And we've been focusing on great sayings that you see in and around the world that can push us through the day. So Adam, let's end the episode on another mind pump. Yeah, I love the mind pumps every single day. I get up in the morning, I read an inspirational quote, and it really gives me a lot of fire in the belly to go out and attack the day. And the one that I'm really in love with um, today is our greatest glory is not in never falling, but rising every time we fall. Yeah. And for me personally, you know, people often ask me, you know, what was the most uh, proud moment for me playing rugby league? I was obviously very lucky to represent my country. I was very lucky to win premierships, play state of origin and all these sort of, you know, great personal accolades um, that I achieved. But um, for me, it was actually coming back from injury when surgeons told me I'd never play again, let alone run again. That for me always gave me the greatest satisfaction was doing what people said I couldn't do. And I think we're much more capable than we realise. Greatness lies within all of us and it's important to realise that. Um, It's important to realise that if you believe in yourself and you're willing to get up every single day and work hard that you can achieve anything. Yes, life's tough. Life's not a fairy tale. Mm. Life is going to be hard and life's going to deliver us a shit sandwich from time to time. Mm. Um, and I always say, you know, it's, it's, it's not our circumstances that are going to define you, but it's how we respond to them circumstances. Yep. You know, bad stuff's going to happen. Unfortunately in life, you know, we're going to lose people we love. We're going to lose jobs. We're going to, you know, have bad things happen to us from time to time. And, you know, um, it's really important to accept the fact that you are going to fall over. But it's getting back up that really counts. That shows your real character. So today, if you know you you are confronting something that's challenging, um, you are confronting self-doubt or, you know, you're maybe lacking belief in your ability to achieve something or, or be a better person, just realise that you have, you know, something amazing with inside yourself and you can achieve anything. Um, it might not occur today, the result from that, but um, it's all about consistency. It's all about getting up, having a crack, having a go and believing in yourself and realising that, um, you know, you are going to fall. But um, as long as you get back up, that's what winning is. The Health Hacker, written and presented by Adam McDougall. Produced and presented by Alex Mitchell. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Listener.